Good job. Uh, at this time, I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Jeff. Please give him a wonderful center point welcome. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Yeah, being the uh, superintendent of the Assemblies of God of the Michigan District and $5 will get you a fancy coffee, but you better have the $5. Um, it's good to be with you again. I think it's been seven years since uh, I was here last, so uh, some of you uh, may notice more gray in my beard uh, than uh, from seven years ago, but uh, I was glad I knew I knew that we would worship today, and uh, thanks for leading in worship, and uh, thanks for the uh, volunteer team that uh, came up. Mostly it's Isaiah, you know, thanks for bringing your dad and all of your entourage uh, today to, uh, to jam with us. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, while we were singing in worship, I, I was thinking about, um, uh, during one of the songs, uh, how Jesus' ministry was marked by, by a couple of word pictures that he gave us. One of them was that smoking flax he would not quench, and a bruised reed he would not break. Both of those have to do with something that's, that's, that might be cast aside or deemed worthwhile, a reed that's, that's already broken, uh, there's not much you can do with that, whether it's making it into whatever you would make it into. Smoking flax referred to a candle or, a, or a, a candle that was about to go out, and it's smoking, and, uh, you know, the tendency would be to just say, I'm going to extinguish that and get rid of that. And, and Jesus said he, he wouldn't, something that's broken, he's not going to completely break. Something that's just smoking, where there's life, where there's a little bit of fire, he's not going to just put it out or extinguish it. In fact, he's going to bring healing, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna blow on that and, uh, and bring that back to full fire. And that is, that is the ministry of Jesus. Uh, he gives us those two word pictures, and they become so meaningful to me throughout my life. I came to the Lord back in 1972. Let me give you a little bit of my history, yeah, the shortened version of it. Uh, for those of you who were, are too young to remember the late 60s, early 70s, and you've only seen uh, film, film reels, uh, film strips, film strips, uh, you've only seen a video of uh, guys... Uh, young guys with hair down to there, with tie-dye shirts, yelling power to the people. Uh, I was one of them. Uh, in fact, my wife and I went to the Nixon Library, and uh, as you go around this one corner, they had a whole bunch of pictures of uh, protesters and stuff during that time, and Karen said, look for your picture. I said, well, I hope it's not up there. <laughs> it wasn't. And uh, and I was a I was a de-churched person. I was an unchurched person. Our family was just simply secular. Uh, we didn't go to church. Um, by the time I was 22 years old, uh, and became a follower of Jesus, I uh, counted backwards, and I think it's accurate that I was in some kind of church for some event 20 times in my entire life. And that included weddings and funerals. We just were unchurched, just very, very secular. And uh, was good at school, uh, got double promoted uh, because they thought that would help my behavior problems. It did not. Uh, they were going to do it again, and, and my parents said, no, that didn't help the first time. Why do you want to mess them up anymore? And uh, went away to college early, went to University of Michigan to uh, get my degree, go blue, yes. Is, are you guys blue people up here? Okay, any green people here? Yeah, I, I got near you and I started to break out in a rash. I didn't know why. Now, it's, everything's clear. Okay, and I won't even mention that school down south um, of the border. Uh, and uh, so I went to University of Michigan uh, for chemical engineering, uh, got involved in a fraternity, uh, got involved in, and it was right next door to the Rainbow People's Party, John Sinclair, and 
is a radical group. SDS was involved and uh, got involved in radical politics, became a Marxist, uh, read everything Karl Marx could, uh, had translated in English that I could find. And uh, uh, really ruined my life. Threw away, flunked out of University of Michigan, um, said goodbye to Blue, uh, and, uh, and wrecked my life. Just really, really ruined my life. By any objective measure, by age 22, I had wrecked my life. In the meantime, I started dating Karen. She was the bright spot in my life. She, she had more sense than I did. She was sort of a hippie. Okay, she wasn't a hippie in her heart. Hers was more a fashion statement, so she could let her hair fro, you know. Uh, she voted for Nixon, by the way. Uh, and so she... <laughs> She couldn't be, which is really ironic because I'm now a, a chaplain for our police department, and uh, Karen thought about putting a Facebook post of what I looked like in the late 60s and now in my police uniform and putting it on Facebook and say, guess who this is? But you never did do that. Uh, I think the chief of police thanked you. Um, and so just living, really at that point in time, I was trying to survive. Uh, Karen had had an experience with Jesus when she was nine years old where she knew Jesus was real. Um, But she didn't tell me about him. But she wanted to serve the Lord someday. She just didn't want to serve him now. And she wanted when she, she decided that when she wanted to serve the Lord, she wanted to do that with somebody for the rest of her life. And she didn't think it was going to be me because of who I was and what I was like. And so we got engaged, and she broke off my engagement for that reason and never told me why. I'm going to give two dates here. So January, December, Christmas Eve, December 1971, she called me up and said, hey, will you come over to my apartment? I said, sure. So I went over there. I thought she was going to get back with me. Uh, you know, men, that ego thing that we have? Now, ladies, don't listen to this. You know, man, that ego thing we have, yeah, she needs me, yeah. Well, that wasn't the case. It was disappointing. And uh, so she talked to me about Jesus. And it's like I didn't understand anything she was saying. In fact, for some reason, it made me angry inside. I got very, very angry. She tried to show me things in the Bible. I grabbed the Bible, threw it across her apartment, cursed at her. Told her she was stupid, committing intellectual suicide. Religion is the opiate of the masses, after all. That's what Karl Marx said. And, uh, and just nothing made sense. I, I absolutely know what it's like to be deaf and blind to the gospel. Absolutely. I, I mean, she, she was saying things like, you know, uh, I, I gave my life to Jesus. How do you give your life to a dead guy? She goes, well, he's not dead. I said, what do you mean he's not dead? She said, he rose again. I said, he's alive. I said, how do you know he's alive? She goes, he lives in my heart. What do you mean he lives in your heart? What does that mean? I don't even, I don't even, I don't even understand what you're saying to me. I was so angry because I didn't understand, and I wasn't a dumb guy. I was just blind and deaf to spiritual things. And she she said, well, Jeff, you know, and, and I knew one scripture. I didn't even know I knew this scripture. I said, Just, judge not lest you be judged. I don't even know where I pulled that from. And she said, Jeff, I know you. You're going to hell. And uh, you've never even read the Bible. And I said, yeah, okay, I never have. And she said, why don't you read the gospel of John as if it's true? I said, all right, I will. I, I stayed up all night. I read the Gospel of John in, just to spite her. Just to spite her and come back and say, I read the Gospel of John. I have read the Bible. Um, we had a discussion with some of the guys before, uh, before uh, the church began, before the service began. And uh, I, was trying to do, uh, I was trying to follow those great theologians named the Doobie Brothers. Okay, they had a song out that said, Jesus is just all right with me. Okay, and so I wanted, I want, you know, it's not that I, and I made this statement, I actually made this statement, it's not that I'm against Jesus, I'm just not for him. You know, he's just all right with me, and, you know, Buddha, and throw everybody else in the mix. It's okay. And I, and I really wanted to remain neutral about Jesus, but Jesus made a couple of statements. One, one, in one place, he says, if you're not against me, you're for me, when his disciples were acting like the three stooges. And, 
and, and in another place, he says, if you're not, pardon me? If you're not for me. No, and then he says, in another place, he says, if you're not, a for, if you're not for me, you're against me. That really bugged me. That made me mad. Because, and, and then I read in John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It was like, I, uh, suddenly I'm face to face with the exclusive claims of Jesus that he's the only way. Now, the good news is he proclaims himself to be the only way, which is very exclusive, but he's also so inclusive that whosoever will may come. And, uh, and, and that bugged me too. And uh, everything bugged me about Jesus. And, I, and then... I couldn't remain, I, I realized I couldn't remain neutral about him. He himself said I couldn't remain neutral about him as much as I wanted to be, and that made me mad too. So Karen invites me to church. We go to church, and uh, uh, to make a long story short, I embarrassed her in church that day. Um, should I tell that part? Probably. Yeah, okay. So I'll tell you how I embarrassed my wife in church. So uh, we weren't married at the time. We go, we were there late. And we were sitting in the foyer, couldn't see into what I now know is a sanctuary. I called it uh, the auditorium. Uh, at the end of the, uh, the service, and it was long. It was two hours long. Two hours long, and I needed a cigarette, and I wanted to go home. Who goes to church for two hours? Well, some of you every week. Uh, and, uh, and so um, I just... And so I'm getting ready to leave, and she says, I'm going to go get filled with the Holy Spirit. And what, does, what is that? Now you've got some other weird thing going on. And she says, I said, I need a cigarette. Let's get out of here. And she says, don't fight with God. You're going to lose. Oh, it made me more angry. So she goes into the auditorium, and I stay out in the foyer, and I'm fuming. I'm, and I don't even... And I'm, I'm way more angry than I should be, and I don't understand it. And uh, now this is back, so this is, this is uh, 19, so this is January 15th, 1972. She talked to me first about Jesus Christmas Eve, 1971. So this is just a few weeks later. And uh, she says, uh, so she goes in there, and, and I'm, standing, I'm standing out there. And this is back in the day when, uh, in our area, the Detroit area, men, all the men were dressed in suits and all the women were dressed in, in uh, dresses. I'm so glad it's more casual nowadays. But anyway, and everyone said amen. Uh, and, uh, but back then, that was, now, except for me, I had my bell-bottom blue jeans on and my very nice leather fringed vest and I had a big blue hat on uh, that was so big I could tip it to the side. It would rest on my shoulder but still be on my head, okay? And so I walk into what I now know is a sanctuary, and Karen's kneeling down, and there's a lady with her hand on her shoulder, and she's doing this. And I'm not stupid. I figure she's praying. And uh, so I, I walked up and became a altar worker. I came up and I put my hand on Karen's head. I said, God, give her what she wants so we can go. (laughs) Uh, I did do that. And uh, Karen said it was like cold water being poured over her soul, (laughs) that her prayer time ended. And uh, her sister looked looked up and saw what was happening. She ran up and she gets me. She pulls me to the side. She says, Jeff, she's so kind. Patty says, Jeff, you don't really understand what's happening here. I said, I do understand. I need a cigarette. God wants, Karen wants something from God. He needs to give it to her so we can go. She goes, oh, you really don't get it, do you? I said, I just told you. What's wrong with you? All you people, don't. I need a cigarette. Karen needs something from God. He needs to give it to her so I can go. She goes, oh, you just don't. I said, I, I, I'm so fried. I just angry, and so I think I think I drove you home. I was angry the whole way, and uh, and Karen says I'm going back tomorrow. You ru- you embarrassed me, you ruined my prayer time, and you're not allowed to come with me. Oh yeah, <laughs> I showed up the next night. So uh, we went to church. Uh, this time it was Ford Auditorium, three thousand thirty five hundred. Jimmy Swaggart was speaking. 
I, I never heard of him. And he, Karen said he was an evangelist. I didn't know what that was. Uh, he gets up and they sing music I can't relate to at all. Uh, everything that's going on, I don't get it, and I'm mad. And I don't even, and again, I don't know why. Uh, but at the end, he invites people to accept Jesus. So people, so in the meantime, I'm meeting people in the Jesus movement who are telling me, give your life to Jesus. And my response is, okay, even if that was possible, what would he want with my life? What, what would he even do with my life? That, you guys are nuts. You guys are off, weird. And uh, so hundreds of people come up and they go forward for whatever that was they were doing. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm, I want to go. Now, this time it was two and a half hours. I'm just, I'm really jonesing for a cigarette. And, uh, and, uh, and so Karen, and he says, so if you need, if, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come forward. And Karen stands up and I go, oh yeah, that thing, whatever it is, that thing again. And so she goes out in the aisle and, and she couldn't, it was, you know, she could only get like to the next row of chairs up. And I'm sitting there and I just, I'm just, I'm done. And finally, somebody said one phrase that made sense to me. He said, if you need more power in your life, come forward. Power to the people. Who knew that God could give political power and that he was on the side of the revolution? Awesome. Awesome. Finally, somebody in this place said something that I related to. So I stood up. And I walked out into the aisle. Karen didn't know. I was standing right behind her. And I got out in the aisle. And uh, I, I don't share this. I didn't share this part of how I came to Christ for years. Because it gets weird right now. And, uh, and I stood there. And I, and I, and I, gave, I gave God 15 seconds, 10 seconds of an honest-to-God moment. And, and my prayer went something like this. God, I don't like these people. I don't believe what they're saying to me is true. But if you're as real as they claim you are, I really want to know it. And uh, the next thing that happened was uh, this invisible hand that wasn't there, like I felt it go around my body and pick me up and bounced me up and down like three or four times. And I, I was just standing there, and I wasn't flexing my knees. I wasn't flexing my ankles. I, I'm just standing there being bounced up and down like three or four times, and then that invisible hand that wasn't there went, let me go. And I didn't have any strength to stand. And I, I started crumbling backwards and downwards, and I started speaking in tongues. And I don't know what that is. And as I'm speaking in tongues, I'm crying and I'm laughing and somebody caught me and sprawled me out over a, over a, a chair and uh, I did kick Karen on the way down, apparently, and that's the last mean thing I ever did to her all my life. That, that wasn't true. I should, if I, I'm going to say something that's not true, I should get over here. Uh, that was a joke. Um, and, and there was a deliverance that happened at the same time. The, my, Patty, my sister-in-law, she said this big, she saw a big black cloud come out of me and go over. She ducked. And she said it was ugly and black. And I know what that was. It was a deliverance. And, uh, and then I heard from a place I'd never heard before, not in my mind, not in my emotions, I heard this. I want you to teach my people how to live a Christian life. Uh, and uh, I thought, I felt so different inside, I thought I, I, thought I uh, looked different. And I introduced myself to Karen. I said, Karen, I know you don't recognize me, but it's me, Jeff. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, no, because I had seen, the only, the only touch point I had for anything Christian or supernatural was the Ten Commandments. Remember when Charlton Heston went up on the mountain and he came back down and he had, gray, he had a gray mullet haircut, okay? Uh, and he didn't have that when he went up there. And I figured, that's what happened to me. It was that Ten Commandments movie and they showed me in the mirror and I, I was disappointed. Uh, now I tell you that story, I tell you that story not because I, I need to establish my spiritual credentials with you. I, 
But that is not the reason for that. I, I share that with you to encourage you to share your faith with people. Because as violent as I was in reacting to Karen's presentation of the gospel to me, it was just a matter of weeks later that I became a Christian. So the people that you're talking to right now who rebuff you, who don't want to hear about Jesus, who have questions, some legitimate, some are smokescreen questions, but if they're angry, listen, you never know what the Holy Spirit is up to. And I want to encourage you, share the Lord with the people you, in your sphere of influence, the people that you hang around with, the people that you, you rub shoulders with. You have more credibility than anybody on TV. Really. You have more credibility than some stranger meeting them. You have the credibility. They know the way you lead your life. They know that you, you uh, have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that gives you credibility and a platform from which to share the Lord. I, I worked at Ford Motor Company for eight and a half years. And after I came to the Lord, I worked there for about five years after, uh, after I came to the Lord. And uh, I knew I was, I was on mission for the Lord. I... I determined that I would give an adequate witness of Jesus, an adequate sharing of the gospel with every single person in my department. And I was able to do that before I left. I want to encourage you, encourage you to share the gospel, spread the word, sow the word, sow the word. But that's not why I came here today, or was it? I want to talk about the fourth one today. I I love Pastor Mike and Chris. I respect them. Um, I'm glad that uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're going to get away for a sabbatical. And uh, part of my job uh, with and I preach somewhere different every Sunday morning, uh, typically. And uh, I'm involved with 250 churches and 800 ministers, and uh, it's my joy to do that. I kind of pastor pastors, and. Uh, I, uh, we, we just really, really love that. And I'm glad that Pastor Mike and Chris are going to get away uh, for a sabbatical. And that's, what I, that's my assignment today, to talk about the fourth one. Let me talk about the Ten Commandments. Give the big picture of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to a group of newly redeemed people and newly freed slaves to keep them free. When you've been in slavery for 400 years in a thoroughly idolatrous nation and you come out of that, you come out into new freedom, how are you going to live? And those Ten Commandments represent that. They're given to us for the same reasons. No other gods. No graven images. Hey, God's saying, listen, do not reduce me to anything physical. Let me... Apply that to us. Do not reduce God in your thinking to anything less than he is. Because it'll be a false representation of him. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. We need to use his name reverently and carefully. Honor parents. Don't commit murder. Saying respect human life. Don't commit adultery. Keep your promises. Keep your vows. Keep the integrity of your relationships intact. Manage your sexual desires. Manage them. Don't steal. Respect the property of others. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Refuse to lie. Don't covet. Restrain your material desires. These commands, these moral imperatives, are things that aren't, they're just not only right, but they're healthy for us. They're, they're good boundaries for us. They, they keep our inner lives free from from doing things that would destroy our relationship with God and destroy our relationship with with other people. It keeps us on track, and we know we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. And as you noticed, if you noticed, I skipped the fourth one. The fourth one says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Uh, when I, we have seven grandkids, and uh, when one of the members of our of our one of the younger ones were, were learning to the Ten Commandments, uh, he said, "Remember July to keep it holy." And uh, I don't know if he did that intentional or Sabbath and rest had to do with vac- summer vacation, but it was remember July to keep it holy. Uh, now the. 
in this case, that the, in this, so there's two places in Scripture that that the Lord gives the Ten Commandments. He gives them initially, and then he he reinstitutes them. And in this first case, he links the Sabbath to creation. Let me read it. It's up on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word holy means, in its most basic sense, set apart. Set one day apart. Make it different than the other days. Uh, some people think the word holy means pure. It, it, it does mean that eventually, but you're set apart so he can work on the inside of you to make you pure and, uh, and live a life that is, is, uh, is uh, separated uh, to God. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. And here's the reference. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He says, remember it. Now there's a a sense of biblical remembering and biblical forgetting. So biblical remembering isn't like, oh yeah, wait a minute. You know, I had forgotten that. It's not like me looking for my car keys. Where did I put them? You know, and then I remember. Or my wife finds them for me. Uh, it's the, the, the biblical understanding of remember, it's, it's what we do when we come to the Lord's table, when we take communion. Uh, we remember the Lord's death. We remember that. We, we never forget that. It's not like that. It's that we remember something in the past that affects the present. We remember something that happened in the past in such a way that it affects the present. When we think about the Lord's death on the cross, it affects the way we live. We understand that's the basis of our salvation and our, our, our righteousness and our life with Christ. All, all of that, we understand that. And when God says, listen, I want you to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because I want you to remember what I did in creation. That that I created mankind with a purpose. I created you with a purpose. I created you different than the rest of creation. We are the only part of God's creation that's self-aware, that has the ability to make moral choices. We are alone made in the image of God. Biblical forgetting, by the way, doesn't mean that we get amnesia about the past. When when, uh, God brings Israel uh, out of Egypt, uh, at one point in time, he says, these ten times you've tested me. Uh, They failed him ten times. He says, these ten times, okay? God God doesn't get amnesia about your sins. He's not surprised that I used to be a hippie. That didn't catch him by surprise when I talked about that this morning. What? I didn't know Jeff was a hippie. Angels, did you remember that? It, it's forgetting in this way. It's forgetting. It, it's, it's knowing that something happened in the past, but it no longer affects you in the present. That has to do with forgetting. See, if you're thinking, think about the, the, the most injured you've been internally by another human being and, and for just a minute. If you've forgiven them, it doesn't mean that you've forgotten that issue. It's just that you've worked through the beginning parts of of forgiveness. You decide to forgive. You work on the process of forgiving where you continue to forgive. And then you learn to live in a state of forgiveness. And when you learn to live in a state of forgiveness, you don't forget about that like you have amnesia, but it no longer affects you anymore because you're living in a state of forgiveness. So biblical remembering and biblically forgetting, he says, remember the Sabbath day and and remember what happened on that day. Now, God didn't, God rested in in that sense. He Sabbathed, he stopped, he ceased, he desisted. He didn't do any more work. It wasn't because he was worn out or tired. Like, man, this creation stuff, boy, that'll wear you out. I mean, that, that wasn't it. In each of those creation days, It's a time for evaluation. He creates this, and then he says what? It is good. 
creates the next thing, it is good. Next creation day, it is good. Next creation day, it is good. He creates mankind, and what does he say about mankind? It is very good. What's the next thing he says? You know what? It's not good for man to be alone. (laughs) Truer words have never been amen. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and there's something, so there's something, there's something about the, uh, the Trinity where God the Father, God the Son, there, there, there's some communion there, relationship that although separate and one, and I, can't, I didn't come here to explain the Trinity because nobody can, but there's something, we, we see enough where, 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 where they say, let us make man in our image. The ability for fellowship, the ability for relationship, the ability to, to draw near to each other. We're made in that image. When, when Isaiah has that great encounter, who will go for us? Uh, there's something about, it's not that God was lonely. You know, it's like, wow, this isn't enough. It's that he wanted to make someone, make mankind in his own image to reflect the kind of relationship, to to give them the the potential for a relationship that's different than the rest of his creation that that somehow mirrors, it's not exact, but it mirrors the uh, rich, full, unexplainable, inexplicable relationship in the Godhead. Later on, again, God reinstitutes or emphasizes, that's a better word, the principles and practice of the, of the Sabbath, but this time ties it to the celebration of his deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. It's in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15, and I think that's on the next one. There it is, right there. The very last part of that says... And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Creation, original purpose, original intention. And for the the people who would argue against and want to reduce humans to just some, some... some... mistake some accumulation of proteins and reduce us to just biological luck that somehow out of the out of the primordial soup human beings came into existence for those people listen i believe that value and worth has to do with origin and destiny We were created in the image of God. What an incredible origin. And we're destined for an eternal eternal life with him. And in the middle, that's where we get our value. That's why we're pro-life. That's why we value human beings from the time of conception until the time they pass away. And then, remember the Sabbath observe the Sabbath in relationship to what I've done in my personal work in you in bringing you out of your Egypt, out of your bondage, out of your wasteland, out of the places where you were held once captive by, by perhaps your own desires. And it doesn't have to be the ugliness of being a hippie and all of that stuff. It could just be in the, um, living the American dream and just being caught up with stuff with the stuff and success, however that might be, however you might have defined it in in the past. Uh, He wants us to intentionally set aside, intentionally remember. And so he's, what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, you enter into, Hebrews says that. Enter into the rest of God. It, this is against the notion that we have to work for our salvation, that we have to do enough good works, we have to do enough religious activities, we have to be involved in enough religious ritual that that will somehow put our ability, will somehow make us right with God. 
I was, uh, I was in China. Uh, there were three of us uh, on, a, on a trip to China, and uh, uh, the two other guys I was with said, hey, listen, if, anybody, if there's any teaching that we do, Jeff, you're going to do that. I said, no problem. I'll, I'll do what, whatever I'm asked to do. And so we, we get into these vans. We did a lot of stuff. And then we went into these vans. We went through 71 tunnels. I have no idea where I was. It was very cool, though. We saw a sign for a panda crossing. Now, that was cool. I was thinking, a panda crossing? Now, you know, we have deer in Michigan, and, and they can dart, you know. My idea of a panda crossing is, you know, like, hit the brakes, you know, and get the film out, you know, get film. What did I say? I dated myself. I'm 68, by the way. Get the video uh, camera and uh, the phone out. Um, we went to a university a university sponsored by the government, a government university class. And they asked us to come talk to their, uh, their one, this one class. And it was uh, an English class. It was to improve the students' English. And they said, you don't need an interpreter. They want you to speak in English. They, they love that interaction. Great. Now, here's, here's the textbook. The textbook that they were using was the Bible. I said, what? So we don't even do that in the United States. <laughs> I said, are you kidding? I mean, my, my concept, it, just, it, it really blew my mind. And so it was their second day of class. And we show up and they introduce, you know, Americans are here. And, you know, they, they asked us questions about our culture. We asked about theirs. And it was give and take. And, and uh, then the, the uh, teacher said, hey, listen, would you... Would you teach something from the Bible? And the two guys I were with said, yes, he will. And uh, so I, I said, okay, yeah, great. They had a big chalkboard. There were 100 students who had come to uh, meet us and see us. And, and I'm, uh, I said, okay, I'm so glad. I am so happy to meet you. I'm so glad you're studying the Bible. You're going to find history books in the Bible. You're going to find poetic books in the Bible. You're going to find apocalyptic. Now, I had to explain that to them what that was. You're going to find uh, wisdom books. You're going to find something that we call the four Gospels. And, uh, and those Gospels tell the story of Jesus and, you know, letters to new believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, and so I, really quick, as quickly, I, I, as quickly as I could. And I said, and sometimes Jesus taught in parables. I explained to them what a parable was. And today, I'm going to teach a parable, but I really need your help. I really need your help to do this right. Will you help me? And they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, so I, I chose the parable of the, the sower, the four kind of soils. And so I... I'm writing on the chalkboard. I said, what do you notice about what's, what's in every one of these? Oh, the sower. It's the same sower. It's the same seed. It's a, what's the difference between this soil and this soil? And I mean, they, we are interacting. There are, there are, okay, so I do public speaking all the time. And there are times that, do you just know the Lord is present by faith? And there are other times where it's just like, yeah. And they were right with me the entire time. And uh, at the end, I said, you know, my, my hope is that you make this choice to be good ground. If you make this choice to become a follower of Jesus someday, I will get to see you again in heaven. And I would love for that to be the case. And, uh, and I said, are there any questions? We have a few more questions. And then one, key, one young man at the very back raises his hand. He says, I have a question. I said, yeah. He says, uh, my mother's a Buddhist and my father's a Taoist. And they teach me to be a good person and I'm not. Can you help me? I ask my mother, she gives me five things to do. I ask my father, he gives me ten things to do. And I try to do all of them and I fail. Can you help me? And I looked at I looked at the official from the school and I said, that's a really big question 
how thoroughly can I answer that? And she said, any question they ask, you can answer as thoroughly as you want to. I said, young man, you have asked the biggest question you could ever ask. Because it, it's what differentiates Christianity from every other religion. Because every other religion has to do with doing something to make yourself acceptable to God. We believe that Jesus took the penalty for our sins, your sins, and that he provided the way of salvation for us and we enter into what he did for us. And uh, I thought, and, and, I, and my, I don't have time, my, my answer was way longer than that. I felt like I'd given a, an adequate witness of who Jesus Christ is to 100 people that I had to drive through 71 tunnels to meet. And, I, and I, when I got home, I said, Karen, maybe the whole reason I got saved to begin with was to reach those 100 students in China. I'm ready to die. She goes, you are not. We're going to retire and have more grandkids, you know. And so Stop talking like that. But it was that significant. So remember the Sabbath day. Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember, biblical remembering, and let it affect your life now. So we don't religiously work for, religiously work for salvation when it's been provided for us, not for free, but at his cost. And so he's calling us away to at least one day a week to become, to call us away from our regular occupations to be occupied with him, maybe preoccupied with him to remember who he was. Now, we know that the, path, that the Sabbath was made for man. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had really made it a pain. You know, they def, you, know you, couldn't, you could only write so many words on a piece of paper or it was work. Um, and Jesus had, says, listen, listen, the Sabbath... The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Let's get this clear. This was to help human beings, not, not, to, not to put another law on somebody's back. Now, for a pastor, I can tell you that Sundays are not a Sabbath. I pastored the same church for 25 years. And, uh, and I, I loved... I love pastoring because I was supposed to be doing that at that time. I, I don't think I'm a great pastor. I, I just think I was a great pastor for that group of people in that history of that church for those people at that time. I, I, I think that's what worked. It was a fit. It worked. And our church grew. And we saw people. We saw God do some amazing things. And we went, especially when we went to two services, you know, Sunday was certainly not a Sabbath. It was not. It was a really, really intensive work day. There's a mission statement we have for our district. It's the Assemblies of God Michigan District is devoted to the growth of healthy leaders, churches, and ministries. And I want to make this statement and then just talk about it a little while because Pastor Mike won't talk to you about this. Most pastors are uncomfortable with talking about the internal wear and tear that it takes on them. Uh, but I am a pastor of pastors, and I feel I can uh, address that. And it's my joy to really do that uh, with congregations as they are uh, giving uh, the gift of a Sabbath, a sabbatical, a Sabbath to their leadership. Being a pastor differs from every other vocation I know of. I know what it's like to work for Ford Motor Company. I know what it's like to work in the marketplace. Uh, I have friends who own their own businesses. And, it, and you know, if you own your own business, it's, it's pretty consuming. But there's nothing as consuming as, as, as being a pastor. Uh, it, it's not the long hours. It's, it's not that. A lot of people work long hours. I, I'm, again, I'm 68 years old. I, I work probably, what, 60 hours a week? Yeah, 60, 65 hours a week. My schedule's full. I, I get at it all the time. Um, although most people think that the only thing I do is speak once a week. Um, 
but but the mental, emotional, and spiritual draining of in a pastor's life is very, very real. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from other people who have jobs that require much the same kind of thing. Uh, typical normal job, 40 to 60 hours a week. Uh, pay is commensurate with... Uh, what's the next slide, uh, Larry? Okay, I'll, yeah, uh, I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I, I, yeah, whatever, you know your job, you know your schedule, you know that Sundays typically are a day when you uh, come to church, uh, worship happens, you, you, can, you can put out the stuff, you're supposed to, put out of the, your mind, not, not mindlessly, but intentionally, okay, I'm here to worship, I'm going to focus on Jesus yeah, he does love me. He does care for me. That happens in worship. That happens with every week when your pastor teaches from the Bible. That happens as you sense his spirit moving in you. Uh, we're intentional about that. We do that. And by the way, the reason why we choose to meet on Sundays, in the New Testament, it, it moved from Saturdays to Sundays. Saturday was the Sabbath, the original Sabbath. It changed to Sunday because Christians said, hey, wait a minute, let's do this. Let's get our gathering together time. Let's align that with Jesus' resurrection. So we, 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 we use our Sabbath on Sunday to commemorate um, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus' day. Um, it's hard for a pastor to get away and detach himself or herself. Uh, in fact, I, we were on vacation. We have, so if you pastor the same church for 25 years, you're, you have some deep friendships. You really have some deep friendships. And, and this couple, who we really love and really know, uh, we took a two-week vacation, and uh, they called up and said, asked Karen, does pastor do marriage counseling while he's on vacation? And Karen, and Karen said, uh, no, it's called vacation. Um, and uh, and so I I got together. We had an appointment after vacation, but it's hard to disconnect. It's hard for a pastor. Uh, where's Robin? Where did Robin go? So how many times is Pastor Mike going to contact you over the summer? You're going to have to say to him. You're going to have to help him detach because he listen. Your pastor is a hardworking, self-starting motivated guy he cares for you he loves you he carries you in his heart he works hard at this corner of god's vineyard he really does i respect him for that now if he if he wasn't that way i would just go on and i wouldn't mention that but he is and you're going to have to help him disconnect hey did i tell you pastor we've got it pastor it's under control we're okay uh, and you're going to have to help him as he detaches. Uh, and, and, you know, I know that there's a tendency, wow, wow. Once, the, once, the, uh, once his um, sabbatical starts, there'll be a tendency to say, yeah, but we're friends, right? Yes, you're friends. Uh, but if he wants to get in touch with you as a friend, let him initiate that. Well, I'll just give him a call, along with 40 other people. Um, just... Allow that time. I'm not talking about a divorce here. I'm talking about a time away of letting somebody detach and re-envision and come back refreshed. Uh, by the way, there are uh, Fortune 500 companies that do that. I have a friend who manages, at that time I think he managed five McDonald's. He didn't own them. He worked for the manager. And uh, at the 10-year mark for him, he was given six months off to detach, reevaluate, reinvigorate, and come back refreshed. He told me that, and I said, ooh, I like that. Uh, that's a, McDonald's is pretty wise, and God's even wiser. Uh, and we want to be wise also. So let me go through some of these statistics. These are awful statistics. Um, this has been, uh, I think the original one done was a long, long time ago. Uh, every, every statistic that I've seen 
since every survey I've seen since then carries close to the same same stats uh, from Barna, Focus on the Family, Fuller Seminary, um, you know, all of them. Um, over several decades. Listen to this. Uh, th- this, is, this is what pastors self-report. 80% believe that pastoral ministry is affecting their families negatively. 33% said it was an outright hazard to their families. That's really sad. 75% re- reported a significant, significant crisis due to stress at least once in their ministry. 40% reported a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. That, wow. You know, I, I hope that's not true here. <laughs> uh, that would be awful. 70% say they have a lower self-image after they ha- pastored uh, than before. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged in their roles. 71% of pastors stated they were burned out, that they battled depression beyond fatigue on a weekly and even daily basis. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close personal friend and no one in whom to confide. I hate that statistic. I, I, that, that saddens me beyond, beyond what, what I can express. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could but have no other way of making a living. 80% of pastors' wives feel their spouse is overworked, uh, probably underpaid too, and wish their spouse would choose another profession. 80% of pastors' wives feel left out, unappreciated by church members, and feel pressured to do things and be something in the church that they really are not. With these kinds of sobering statistics, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month in the United States due to everything from moral failure to spiritual burnout, contention in their churches. 80% of seminary and Bible school graduates leave the ministry within the first five years. So if, if these, listen, if these statistics are even close to being accurate, you know, that's frightening. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, it's just recognizing that there's some toxicity built into uh, the way uh, ministry life happens in the United States. And again, your pastor probably wouldn't share these things with you. Maybe he has because I sent those stats to him. Uh, when he first started talking about a sabbatical and and uh, talked with me over the phone with, I said, Mike, I got some I got some stats I need to send you. So I don't know if you've did you see these stats before? Okay, uh, and uh, and and so here so so from my perspective, I love it when a church says, Wow, we we don't want to lose our pastor. We we don't want to see that happen. That's awful. What, do, what can we do to help? Uh, so what, came, what, what brought this into real clear focus for me was when our former superintendent, my friend, Bill Leach, he, he shared, I was, I was on his board at the time, I wasn't serving uh, in a district official capacity. He, said, he came into a, a meeting one day and he said, I just can't get untired. He says, I wake up and I'm tired. Throughout the day, I'm just dreadfully tired. And, and we said, take some time off. We don't want to lose you. You're our friend. We don't want to lose you as a leader. And, and this whole thing of sabbatical and understanding. And by the way, other denominations do that. It's, they've done it for years. Uh, it's it's kind of new to the assemblies of God into to our denomination. And we didn't want to lose him, and so we gave him time off, and he went away for 90 days, and he came back, and he was refreshed, and that was in 2004 or 2005-ish. And in 2006, he, he put some things together and said, listen, that was so meaningful, that was so rescuing to me, we should encourage all of our pastors and all of our churches to practice that, to 
help pastors to create a sustainable uh, schedule to allow our pastors to, if they need to, get healthy and to stay healthy. So I worked at Ford, and they said, we said at Ford, we believe in preventative maintenance. We said that. But we didn't practice it. And there'd be a shutdown, and people would go crazy. It was like, because for every minute that assembly line was was closed down, it meant so many thousands of dollars. And uh, and I believe in preventative maintenance. Wasn't there an old oil, was it an oil change place that said, you know, see me now or see me later, or transmission, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See me now or, or see me later, and it's going to get way expensive later. And so I, I like preventative maintenance. And so we've, we've come up with these, with these, uh, with these guidelines for for us take a to pastors and this is my side of things this is what i tell pastors take a real day off each week take all of your allotted vacation time each year plan into your schedule something that makes it work preventatively now every pastor knows there's emergency situations i seriously i I, how many times have i been at a hospital care and hospital emergency room throughout 40 years of ministry countless 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 times never a problem never done with a powder in my spirit my wife understood it my kids understood it emergencies happen that's not the issue i'm talking about sustainability uh for the long haul after six years of continual service plan a 60 to 90 day sabbatical for the lead pastor uh not replacing normal vacation time uh, it's also recommended for others on a on a on a pastoral uh, staff. Um, I learned the hard way. Before I knew all of this, I was uh, working at that time, whoa, I was a youth pastor working 70 hours a week. Our, our youth group had grown to 200 kids. I was a children's pastor. We had 300 kids in children's pastor. All the responsibilities that my lead pastor was giving me small group discipleship it was yeah and uh, I ended up in the hospital with ulcerative colitis 30 years old I took my briefcase with me uh-huh. took my briefcase with me the nurse came in one day and she goes what's uh what's that and I said it's my briefcase she says, and what are you going to do with that? I said, I brought work along. And she said, uh, do you know you're in here for a stress-related illness? I said, yeah, but it's more stress if I don't get my work done. She said, oh, okay. She left. She came back like 20 minutes later. She goes, oh, I have a pill for you. And she gave me this pill, and I took it. And I said, what is that? And she named the pill, and I said, oh, I've never heard of that. Uh, I called Karen on the phone. I said, what is, what is the name of this pill? And she goes, oh, let me look at it. We had a PDR at home. She looks it up, the physician's desk reference. She looks it up. She goes, oh, that's, for, that's an antipsychotic medicine. I said, what? And she said, yeah. And I said, I'm getting really sleepy. My mouth is really dry, and I'm really sleepy. She said, well, they must have given it to you for a reason. I said, yeah, I got to go. So two hours later, I woke up, hit the button, said in there, what did you, what did you give to that to me for? And she goes, to knock you out. And she said, but I can't say that officially. She said, I found, a, I found that, 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 that one of the side effects of that is it slows down colon um, it slows down your colon, and on that basis, the doctor prescribed it. But I did it to knock you out. And I was like, well, I'm glad we're having this discussion, Nurse Ratchet. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So I had, I don't want to gross anybody out, but I, had, I was bleeding every inch of my colon all the way up. They told me I had the intestines of an 80-year-old man, and they were going to have to start removing parts of me because I was it was dying that's 30 years old I left the hospital came back to my pastor I said obviously I can't live this way anymore 
whatever it is I'm doing. Apparently, unaware, emotionally, I, I would have not known that. So, but apparently, I process stress in my gut. And I got, this has got to change. He said it does need to change. So we, we made adjustments at work. I had to learn the gift of limits. So workaholism is not something to be celebrated. Unfortunately, sometimes in the church it is celebrated. So if you're good at one thing, we'll give you another thing to do. Oh, you did that? Well, too, we'll give you another thing to do. We'll give you another thing to do. And you're, you're caving in, but you're, you're faithful to Jesus. You want to be faithful to your church and your pastor, and so you don't say anything. And then you get so discouraged, you leave. Because you don't want to disappoint anybody. We can't let that happen to our pastors and our friends. We've got to, we, we, we have to live with the gift of limits and we have to help others to do that too. Number four, the pastor's expected then to commit to serve at least one full year after the sabbatical is completed. Church is expected to continue full salary and benefits during the sabbatical. We come alongside at no expense to the congregation during the lead pastor sabbatical to provide pulpit ministry on Sunday mornings. So that's why I'm here. Uh, our staff, we don't want to be... We, in order to make this happen, we, we uh, commit, myself, Kurt Dalaba, um, Otis Buchan, uh, and Matt Vanderstein, we commit ourselves to fill in on Sundays at, with no honorariums uh, just to come and support you as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a congregation, support our pastors, Pastor Mike and Chris, as they get away. We love to do that. It's our joy to do that. It's our, it's our joy to know that a board is loving their pastor enough and a congregation is loving, loving their pastor enough to say, hey, and Pastor Mike's been here for nine years, is that correct? Uh, he's overdue. To say, hey, listen, take some time off, re-energize, re-look at everything. One of the themes that he said is gearing for growth. And I'm not sure all that that means. I'm sure he'll, he'll talk about that the next couple of, uh, of Sundays. Um, but I want to thank you personally as, as a pastor to pastors. Thank you for your care and your genuine love to Pastor Mike and Chris. And pray for them uh, as they, as they reinvigorate, re, as they reinvigorate uh, themselves, detach themselves as they Sabbath for uh, this summer. And uh, we've done this again and again and again for pastors all over our district. There has never been one single pastor, not, not one single case where pastors come back and said, I wish I didn't do that. They always talk about something happening internally that, that gets them uh, ready and back into, back into the saddle to uh, to live out what God's plan is for them. So thank you, um, and uh, I'm glad to be with you and hug and uh, see some old friends and friends that are old. Larry, Bog, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you got as much gray as me. I don't know, maybe not. And uh, to reconnect with you. Let me pray for you, will you? And let's pray for uh, Pastor and Chris. Father, thank you for this congregation and uh, these people and their generosity, their understanding, their care, their concern. We pray, Father, as uh, things move forward through this year, that, or the, through this summer, uh, that Pastor Mike and Chris will truly, truly Find a, a, a place of rest and relaxation and reinvigoration with you. Lord, let the, let the congregation know that uh, during this time they'll be cared for, uh, that, that, uh, that Robin will be on it, that uh, the other uh, elders here and leaders will, will help and assist, and that uh, you'll be glorified during this time of gearing for growth as well. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.